Welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. Featuring sysadmin expert, Don Pizzette. Security specialist, Daniel Lowry. And Peter. Hello and welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam, and I am joined uh, through a series of underwater cables and uh, and satellite dishes by Don Pizzette this week. Don, how you doing? I am doing great. You know, it's uh, it, it's... It's odd. I, I look back at my life, you know, when I was a kid back in the 1980s, watching Max Hedrum on TV and not realizing one day that would be me. I would be the head in the box. <laughs> yeah, Don. My, I've achieved my dreams. Don has passed away and we have uh, downloaded <laughs> his, his consciousness, consciousness yeah, into yeah. Uh, really just this LG TV. And, yeah. and it would seems it to work pretty good. Or a download, do you think? <sighs> That's a great question. Yeah. Maybe the, both. the show is called Upload on on Amazon, where it's oh, that it? yeah. it's that exact uh, process where they they upload you into the afterlife, and then they can download you back into a cloned uh, body. Uh, so we'll just go. We'll assume that they thought it out, and uh, I like how you go with that. On this, yeah. yeah, and yeah. we've got Daniel Lauer here with us today. Daniel, how's it going? Hey, everybody, how you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, we were just talking. I watched Deja Vu this weekend. So yeah. caught up on that. Now that reference makes more sense to me. Yeah, because Deja Vu is one of the segments here that we do, yes. and we uh, we play the intro where we have uh, Denzel back yeah. there. It was a Tony Scott film, which I did not know. Uh, I I really enjoy both the Scotts. Yeah, it didn't uh, like make a film. big splash. In it, theaters. I could it just... see that. I could see that, but like it was still a pretty good film. I really liked the way it was shot. It was an interesting concept. Uh, definitely an interesting take on time travel and you know mm -hmm. the capabilities of the U.S. government hiding these things and always fun to pretend. Yeah, I, I was I was gonna watch it, but I saw the trailer and I was like, ah, that movie's been done before. <laughs> Boom, boom, yeah. boom, 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 boom. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, we've got a lot of great news. Uh, well, not great news. We've got a lot of news this week. Uh, news. Probably the headline that I was most excited uh, in the history of Technator to see come across my news feed. I'm already calling it for uh, favorite article of the year, but we'll you'll have to wait on that one and see what that is because we're we're saving that one for the end. Uh, but let's open up with an article that um, probably came across my news feed and I just let it go. Uh, free BSD 13. Point one released with UEFI boot enhancements and driver improvements. Did I say that right? UEFI or is it UEFI? No. UEFI. That's right. Okay. I, I never uh, know. We should have told him it was UEFI. That That's been UEFI. More fun. Yeah. He'd been saying UEFI the whole time. <laughs> Isn't that like a like soccer league out. or something? Yeah. Like Hashtag UEFA <laughs> Cup or something. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so what's what's this all about? And and how excited are you for this, Don? All right. Well, if you're not familiar with FreeBSD, it's one of the most popular open source Unix variants that's still supported today. Uh, you know, back in the, the 1970s, 1980s, Unix was controlled by AT&T and Bell Labs and Berkeley or University of California at Berkeley had created their own kind of distribution that was based off a licensed code, which was BSD. Uh, it is still supported today and around, although Linux has far surpassed it in terms of popularity. So we hear a lot about Linux. We report on that usually at least like one article a week versus FreeBSD that we don't hear a lot out of, but it is still out there, still being supported, and version 13.1 just came out. Uh, one thing that's been kind of holding it back a little bit recently has been its hardware support, uh, especially with things like UEFI that require secure boot and, and signed bootloaders and things that, that the BSD license doesn't 100% play well with. But in 13.1, they've actually taken some step forwards there. So if you had hardware that FreeBSD wouldn't run on before, 
check it out again. It, it may well be there. And this is all kind of a setup for what's coming down the line. We're starting to see vendors making hardware that no longer supports legacy boot, where you've got to have UEFI to boot, boot up. And FreeBSD is now supporting that. Now, if you don't use FreeBSD, you likely benefit from it in some way. There's a lot of other products out there that leverage technologies based upon the BSD kernel and the FreeBSD project. Uh, and, you know, so you'll see those that are out there. OpenBSD, NetBSD, they're still supported as well. Uh, but FreeBSD is where you see the most active development. So it's kind of neat to see that one still going around. Uh, and if you run a, on a RISC-V processor, which is kind of becoming the IoT of the future, uh, FreeBSD has some of the best support for that. All right, Don, I, I want to get you on this because I've been using Linux for, I don't know, probably since 1998 or so, somewhere around there. And I've been obviously aware of BSD. It's, it's, it's been hanging around the market. What is the difference and why would you choose one over the other when it comes to Linux versus a BSD distro? All right. So the biggest difference without like digging into, well, this config file is stored in that folder and that config files in that folder, because that kind of stuff doesn't really matter. Uh, Really, the big difference between any Linux to show, you take your pick, right? So Ubuntu, RHEL, uh, CentOS, Fedora, Mint, Arch, whatever, uh, and compare any of them to FreeBSD, for example. FreeBSD is one product. The, the kernel, the operating system tools, the GUI, it's all developed together as one operating system. Versus when you look at Linux, all the distros there are things that are cobbled together. So you have the Linux kernel packaged with maybe the GNU tool set, maybe uh, GNOME as a window manager, maybe this, maybe that, you know, all the different pieces that they kludge together to build a Linux distro. And, and it feels like that. When you move from app to app, the config files are stored in different formats, in different places. The way the storage is referenced is different from distro to distro versus FreeBSD, where it's all just very consistent. So when you're looking for a stable, reliable operating system, like if you're responsible for doing full security audits and things, FreeBSD is just a lot easier to work with from that perspective. But because Linux is cobbled together from all these different pieces, you have much wider support. It's easier to add support for a lot of different things. So each one has their place. I, I don't think necessarily that one is always a substitute for the other. So do we typically see, like, I, I guess a better question is not that way, but... Uh, so, and correct me if I'm wrong, OpenBSD is more of a security-focused version of BSD. So, are we seeing BSD systems in place in enterprise environments, or is RHEL basically kind of like, you know, the head honcho when it comes to that, and you really don't need that, and it's more esoteric to see a BSD system, or is, is there a niche for those BSD systems? You know, you, you do actually see BSD deployed a few places like under the hood. Uh, I used to use these riverbed uh, WAN optimizers that actually ran free BSD. Um, I had some Juniper uh, intrusion prevention systems. I think they're actually IDSs. I don't remember if they were IPSs or not. Uh, and they ran free BSD on them. Uh, a lot of Juniper routers are built on top of BSD deep down under the hood. Uh, Mac OS really is built off of BSD, not off of like a Linux variant or anything. Uh, so BSD is there under the hood in a ton of the products that we use and a ton of the projects that we hear about. But as far as operating systems that we directly interact with, it's pretty rare to see FreeBSD. Cool. So I, today I learned that the B in BSD is Berkeley. Yes, Berkeley. Didn't know that. Yep. I thought it was, wasn't that bondage? <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, 
I get that wrong again? I don't know where you've been spending your nights. Yeah. <laughs> Good yeah, sir. You, know, you're, you are like one letter off from ending up in the wrong subreddit. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Go, oh, ooh. That's why dyslexia is a, a very big problem. Yeah. It can, looks like it hurts. Wait, hold on I'm a second. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this, this operating system hurts so good. All right. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. gives a whole different definition to bootstrapping an operating yeah, it system. Does. Yes, it yeah. does. Boot up. All right, here we go. All right. Uh, <laughs> this is gone. There's, there's really a, bad. Really there's a quick. ton of like terms coming yeah, into my yeah. head. I'm like, no, I don't want it. No, that one's probably too yep, far. Yep. Yeah, we'll stop there. <laughs> anyway, get the button article. ready. Get the yeah. button ready. Yeah. All right. Now I do like this article. This one comes to us from Bloomberg.com. Uh, hacker finds a way to unlock Tesla models and start cars. And when I first saw this, I said, oh, there, you know, there's some very elaborate hacking scheme. And then I, I watched a video where a guy did it in about three minutes, and I was like, I could. I could probably do that. It's it's just uh, well, it's it's done. It's something that you've complained a lot about, and it is Bluetooth seems to be the big problem here. Now hold on, yeah. you said Bluetooth? Yeah, I don't believe it. No, it's super secure normally. <laughs> you know, um, I was surprised at the simplicity of this attack. Yeah, the the, the way it's pulled off is really simple, and uh, I believe that really Tesla and Bluetooth are being thrown out here just to get clicks. Because mm -hmm. I think this would actually work with just about. It, it did say the, it, the proof of concept was on a Tesla, but they said any of the vehicles that use the what is it, the low energy Bluetooth, uh, yeah. in this case for like detecting yeah. the key fob. Well, are and even from... even the Bluetooth side, like technically, this could work with other wireless technologies okay. too. Because all he did was build a relay, so he he built a like a little IoT solution that would listen for blue, in this case, Bluetooth signals, right, uh, and somebody's Bluetooth signal, like on their car keys, it, it could extend out of like about 30 feet in some cases, uh, or it was the cell phone they were using, right? So your cell phone Bluetooth yeah. definitely get about 30 feet. So what he found was he could take this, this relay, this little IOT device and get it within 30 feet of somebody's keys. Which would be it pretty then easy to do. You know, you could be in someone's driveway potentially and, yeah. and do that. Yeah. Yep. And I, and I keep saying keys. I have to back up because it was the cell it phone, the phone that was emitting yeah. the, the Bluetooth signal because he, he showed using the cell phone to unlock the Tesla and start the engine. So you get this IoT device within 30 feet of this person's phone. And then it is capturing the Bluetooth signal. It's not decrypting it. It's not modifying it. It's just capturing it. And then relaying it. And then on his laptop, he had a receiver set up. And then, you know, it could relay it over TCP IP. So that was my question. Does it need to be over another series of Bluetooth devices? Or you no, could send that no. over over the web of a far distance? send it over whatever he wanted. Okay. Uh, and latency becomes an issue. Like Bluetooth does have a timeout, but it's it's several seconds, more than enough for you to be able to relay it all the way over to wherever he is out in a parking lot somewhere. And... There, he had a transmitter, the other end of the relay, and it would transmit that signal to the car. So the car would say, oh, look, that, that device is right here. And I, it didn't say if he's had it set up two-way, but I imagine he would have it set up two-way so the car could talk back to the phone, you know, because you, you want full authentication. Uh, and at that point, he was able to unlock the car, sit down in it, start the engine, and go. So this isn't really a, a flaw in Bluetooth, and it's not really a flaw in the Tesla car itself. It's just the fact that wireless signals can be relayed without us knowing about it because they're wireless, right? Once it goes in the air, it's just gone. Now, Don, do you think this will impact the uh, opinions of these big tech companies that we looked at last week when they talked about, we should use this for passwords. We don't need passwords anymore. You just got to get your device close enough mm -hmm. and then, you know, it knows you're there and, and it'll log you in to 
to things. Do you think this would probably be used in any kind of way like that? Never. Well, you know, there's there's a lot of kind of conditions that have to be met for this attack to work, right? And and for a car, I think it makes sense. Like if I see a Tesla and I see somebody walk up to it and unlock it with their phone, all right, now I know I've got a valid target, right? I can't see somebody walking down the street and saying, oh, you know what? I bet they use Bluetooth to unlock their laptop at home. Uh, you Not know, so now, but if that becomes the standard... Then you would yeah, so you know that everybody assume, that right. uses Gmail, you know, right. does that. And now I just have to go pick my target and get walk on their sidewalk. Yeah, I, I mean, you would you would have to know you'd have to know the person. I I think when it when it comes to like if you see me at a Starbucks and you see me tap my phone to my my laptop, all right. So now you know I'm using my phone to authenticate, but you don't know my email address. You don't know what email service I'm using. So you you have to figure out that other stuff too. You have to like it could work in a targeted serve. attack. Yeah, like if you knew the person. Yeah. If I was yeah. like 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 you said, targeted, I'm profiling you. Yeah. You become my intended target for maybe you're a large, you know, yeah. a whale kind of idea. Ouch. Versus the the car is just a lot more visible. I think you know it, it's yeah. obviously a big item. It's really easy to spot when somebody's going to a Tesla. Well, plus it's and it's a well known fact that you know these cars do this. So you see someone yeah. with a Tesla, you go oh. Yeah, and what's so cool? I think no, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I think that you know this isn't a huge risk that most people need to panic about, but it, it is an eye opener. It's you know remembering that hey, my wireless signal can be retransmitted, can be relayed, it can be recorded, uh, and we, I think we talked about it last week, right? Where Russia was recording tons and tons of encrypted data, they couldn't encrypt it now, but maybe they could encrypt it later. So somebody could be intercepting your Bluetooth signal now, holding the data and waiting for a time where they can decrypt it. And so that's a, that's a real challenge we have with wireless devices. And, and at the time, Daniel, I, I think you said you, you keep Bluetooth off on your phone. I do. And so you're, you're like pretty protected from this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and in this case, the person was actually, you know, able to start the vehicle and, and show them driving away. So, you know, we know it can, it can go all the way with that. So what would be, the fix here, you know, both short, short term and long term is that short term, it sounds like if you go back to the key fob and not use the phone, but is the key fob still just using Bluetooth? Well, so the, the, the key fobs usually don't use Bluetooth. They usually use either NFC or something else, something proprietary, right? Uh, because Bluetooth would require a battery that's constantly mm, getting okay. drained. And most of the, your key fobs just have like a CR2032 battery in them or something. They, they wouldn't be able to hold up to that. Uh, but also remember the, you know, the thing about what a criminal would do if they, if they steal the Tesla, right? So they're in there, they got their laptop, they're relaying that signal and they drive off. Well, the moment they turn off their laptop or the moment they lose internet connectivity, they lose the relay. The car sees the key is gone and the car shuts down. Does it and shut down? In the meantime, I mean, mine, mine just beeps. I know. Like if I'm, you know, I, I, if I go in the store and leave my daughter in the car, you know, while she's, <laughs> while she's listening to the radio she's or something. She's only two months old. She, she's a teenager. <laughs> you know, she's like, I'm just going to listen to the radio. Okay, fine. But she says, oh, it beeped the whole time because your, the key was in your pocket. Yeah. You know, but the car stayed on. Does the Tesla, I mean, it's smarter than my car. Well, even even if it stays on, I mean, it's still fully traceable. Those The Tesla's phone yeah. home constantly. They have their own cell networks and stuff. So it, it's still not like they can really do anything with the car they just stole. Maybe get it to a chop shop and steal the, oh, I was about to say catalytic converter, but I guess the Tesla wouldn't have one of those. No, it does not. <laughs> the battery pack. Those batteries, on the other hand, are pretty expensive, I would assume. Yeah. 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 
Right. And I'm, I'm trying to think of other things like parts you could steal off of a Tesla because so much of it's computerized that you can't even do that. You can't. Correct me if I'm wrong. Teslas wheels, are expensive. <laughs> yeah, but but as he says, it's phone and home the whole time. So yeah, whatever we just you know, wrap it in tinfoil. It can't get That's out. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Drive it into a Faraday cage. That's it. Like Knight Rider, you know, right. like into the back of a. Like, Michael, look at Peter breaking out Faraday cage. Yeah, look at me. I've seen. Uh, Enemy of the state. That's right. <laughs> Who, who's the guy in that? Gene Hackman? Gene Hackman. Yeah, Gene Hackman has the whole Faraday cage thing. Uh, yeah, anyway, so this is an interesting one to watch, and, and it, it we'll be curious to see what the reaction is from uh, from the vendors, because I'm sure they're going to have to say something about this. By the way, Enemy oh. of the State, yeah. that's a Scott Brothers film. That's oh, another? Okay. Yeah. yeah, you can see the yeah. same kind they of... They got that, that gritty... That vibe. Yeah, kind of like... It's like the film isn't f- totally developed. really enjoy their movies, got to yeah. be honest with you. You should check that out, Don. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's take a look at our next article from TheVerge.com. Google will start distributing a security-vetted collection of open source software libraries. Popular packages will be made available to Google Cloud customers in Q3 of 2022. Oh, so no one will have access to this because <laughs> it's just Google Cloud customers. <laughs> yeah. What kind of um, software are we talking about here? You know, so they, they say that it'll be made available to Google Cloud customers in Q3 2022, but they've already made it available to the entire world through their GitHub repository. So Google has already begun curating dozens of open source packages. I didn't count how many. It, it's a lot, at least 100 yeah. um, of these open source packages. And if we were reporting on this even six months ago, I probably would have said something like, why do we need Google getting in between us and the original developers of these open source libraries? Like this is not what open source is all about. I don't need Google intervening. But in the last six months, we've seen a number of open source projects poisoned by their creators, right? Where they're taking a political stance. And so they they throw garbage code in to corrupt their library or they want to bring uh, awareness to uh, how many people depend on their library. So they sabotage. This happened three times in the last six months. And you stack on top of that other high visibility vulnerabilities like Log4j, where it was just a package that didn't have a lot of people maintaining it. So Google's basically stepping in and saying, look, we're going to put our money where our mouth is. We're going to have our, our top-notch security team audit these open source libraries and we're going to publish them in a curated form where we haven't necessarily modified them, but we've given them our stamp of approval that says these are safe to use. And after what we've seen in the last six months, I look at it and I say, well, honestly, it's as long as they're not modifying the libraries, that's worthwhile. That's like a free security audit for these libraries that normally I would just have to trust. Don, would you say that these hacktivists have been successful? Like they've they pushed big tech to put their money where their mouth is, come in and actually like contribute to the open source environment, make it more secure, add new things, new features, more security. Obviously, is is on the top of their list because no one wants to get hit with the next Log4j vulnerability. That was such a, a devastating attack that you couple that with some people going, hey, just quit, quit using our stuff and making billions and not helping. And, you know, no, I'm not saying it was right for them to do it that way, but just, sure. you know, just going along their line of thinking, do you think that they're justified in their mind for what they did now that they did get big tech involved? So I'm going to say no. Okay. Uh, first off, I don't think you're justified in sabotaging people's networks. <laughs> I said in all, their mind. Right? Qualifier, in their mind. <laughs> but second, 
they didn't get what they wanted, okay. right? Because look at what Google did. Google didn't say, all right, we're going to have our security researchers start auditing your software and submitting pull requests so that you're aware of vulnerabilities and things like that. Instead, they just said, no, we're going to vet your software and we'll decide whether it's safe or not. And then we'll make it available in our repository, in Google's repository. Well, if I, you know, Don, as an external person, if I start using Google's repository, guess what Google's going to do? They're going to track all of my demographic data about who's accessing this repo, where is this being used? In, if nothing else, Google's now getting more data than they were before, and they're now taking more credit for that software that they didn't even write. Like, in my opinion, it kind of backfired on gotcha. those steps. So re remind me, a couple of weeks ago, we discussed uh, a situation where uh, hackers had kind of taken control at a uh, at a company that were signing certificates and was like you know, rubber stamping things says, yep, this one's good. This one's mm -hmm. good. Even though that had malicious code in it. I mean, that, that's something that could, could happen in a case like this too. Sure. Do you remember who that was? I don't. Was it, in, I want to say NVIDIA again, but it was someone that was. Well, there was, there was an NVIDIA key that got out, um, you know, when the, the, they got hit by the ransomware. Yeah. Uh, and so there were false drivers being pushed out that were stamped that's or it. digitally yeah. signed gotcha. with NVIDIA's code. Um, I, I don't know that that was really widespread, though. I think it was just like two malware drivers that were pushed out. Mm. Yeah. But, so, I mean, technically yeah. that could happen in yeah. this case as well, where you you maybe don't check yourself because you say, well, Google checked it, and I'm not right. I'm not going to find something Google didn't. Well, and yeah, well, yeah, you will. Cause, well, yeah. yeah Google has open, you know, responsible disclosure programs, so they absolutely miss things all the time. And that's the great part about it continuing to be – well, it's maintained by people that are – Obviously, at a high level of skill, because Google hires high level of skill and they pay them well. That's how they entice people with that skill level to come work for them. So you are getting some really smart people looking at your, your code, and it's staying open source. So if you want to go right back behind them and say, hmm, let's make sure they did a good job or that they didn't put something in there that I don't agree with, and you can change those things. So to me, I thought this was like a big win because... Big tech getting involved with open source, contributing to open source, trying to make it more secure. This is what I liked about it yeah. was that was what was happening, and it's being continually still open source. They're not closing it down and go, now that we've modified it, made it better, it's ours, you can't have it. Obviously, they still have their little you know ways of, of, of monetizing that by looking at data, but... I, I agree with that, but I, I want to put this one in the wait and see column hmm. is, you know, if, if Google is pushing any, any of their findings, if they're sending that back as pull requests into the original author's software repositories, then yeah, this is a big win for the, the original devs. But if Google isn't doing that, if they're leaving it up to those devs to then have to come to Google hat in hand to say, can you please tell us what you found? Hmm. Then it's not a win for those devs and, and Google's taking advantage of it. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. But if you, if you have a chance and look at their GitHub repo, I mean, every major open source package is in there. Log4j is in there, Node.js, um, OpenSSH, OpenSSL, all the big open source software suites that we depend on for security and communications, they're all in there. Google's really investing in it. Yeah, well, sounds like a future Deja News article mm -hmm. that we will uh, maybe look at down the road and, and see if Don is happy or if Dan is happy. <laughs> I, I'm I'm still pretty. I mean, I think that even by the fact that they're publishing their open source version of it that has security fixes in it, 
yeah, they might not overtly be telling the dev, hey, you know, we found some problems. And uh, it is there. They could go look and try to see the different, uh, you know, the difference between the two and figure out, oh, here's what they did. But the onus would be on them. It's not, you know, so it could be done. It's just not being done overtly. Makes sense. And I just checked. There's 550, <laughs> over, over 550 uh, packages in there right now. Wow. Oh man, I had a joke. I had to stop myself. Oh, go ahead, continue. I'll tell you what. Let's take let's take a break. Uh, we'll take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to find out who got pwned, and, and Daniel can tell us. No, I can't. The joke. No, privately. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah. And uh, and then we we won't tell you. Uh, so we'll be right back uh, after this quick message on Technated with Tom Pizzette. Welcome to IT Pro TV, an e-learning company with thousands of hours of engaging video training for IT professionals with fresh content added daily. What makes IT Pro TV stand out? It all starts with our edutainers who create better than classroom experiences for training you look forward to watching. So an edutainer is someone who takes a topic, an, an educational topic, and makes it more fun, enjoyable. My vision for IT Pro TV was to make the product that I wish I had when I got started. The dashboard is great because you can actually pick up right where you left off. You can also end up seeing new courses that are available to you, and with a membership, you have access to a variety of study tools. Follow along with virtual labs and test your skills with practice tests. And unlike traditional training, you aren't handcuffed to your desk. Sure, you can watch from there or from your couch with Apple TV and Roku apps, or from anywhere with mobile apps. The training is even available for download. If you're ready to watch and learn with the IT pros, check out the flexible membership choices online today at www.itpro.tv. Do you know what's better than being an IT Pro TV member? Being a member for free. Hi, I'm Dom Pazette, co-founder and edutainer here at IT Pro TV. Once you sign up for an IT Pro TV personal membership subscription, you'll automatically be part of our referral program. Then all you have to do is share your personal referral link and code with your friends and colleagues. Every time one signs up, you get money off your subscription. Sign up enough and your membership is free. That's right, access to all your favorite IT training, totally free. Kind of feels like stealing, doesn't it? Check out the link below to learn how to get your code and start sharing today. All right, welcome back to TechNado with Don Pizzette. Great joke, Daniel. Great joke. I'm, I'm glad you liked that, it. Uh, <laughs> I liked it. We'll put that on the you internet. Got, you got some tears yeah. still around the eyes we, there. We can put it on 4chan. Um, all right. Well, uh, we're going to find out in our next segment here who it was that got pwned. Looks like you're about to get pwned. Fatality. Yeah! It's hard to tell which one of these screens is Don now. <laughs> oh, there. No, he's in that one. Uh, he moved. Yeah. 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 All right, so let's take a look here. Uh, this is from Reuters.com. U.S. orders... Nope, that's wrong. Uh, <laughs> back one. This is from Slashdot. Slashdot.org. Uh, ransomware gang threatens to overthrow Costa Rican government. And normally when we see... We see these a lot where, where it's a government or a municipality. I feel like you could overthrow hacked. the Costa Rican government if you felt like it. Yeah, but their, <laughs> but their motive here is not... You know, let's get all the Bitcoin. And I don't know, maybe it's because Bitcoin's kind of crashed now. They're like, you know what? Let's just overthrow the government. Yeah, ain't this, got nothing this else isn't to do. worth as much. I mean, it's Saturday. It's Saturday. <laughs> and, it's, and like you said, this one seems like, like we can overthrow it. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, this is a mess. So why do you think this is obviously like a nation state and, and that's why they're doing this in this case? So th this one's really interesting. Uh, it, it's a, a standard ransomware attack, which we've been seeing for years now, right? So plenty of, of, of 
governments, private entities have been hit by these and so on. Uh, the timing on this one is what makes it a little bit different than others. So uh, if you don't follow Costa Rican politics, well, that's not that's all not that new. unusual. Yeah. Uh, but their, their president, Park, yeah. President yeah. Rodrigo Chavez, he has only been in office for a week. So he, 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 <laughs> just got, he just got put into office a week ago. And their systems, and, and this is not like just one department, but just all throughout the Costa Rican government are being hit with ransomware and encrypted. And you know he, he's come out and said, look, we are at war. The, the quote is, we're at war, and that's not an exaggeration. Uh, because basically, their, their entire computer infrastructure is being taken offline. And it appears to be driven by both external attackers and internal forces, that when you have a, a country which you know, we don't hear about Costa Rica as like a, a country in turmoil. We hear of it more as like a vacation spot. Uh, right. But when you hear about these, these countries where the governments aren't as, as fully stabilized as some others, that you have a, an opposition force. And usually you expect protests or maybe a coup attempt. In this case, this could be a predecessor to a coup attempt. We have to wait and see. But it's the first time that we've seen a ransomware gang demand something or make claims even beyond just give me a ransom. This time it was gay. Hey, the government. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're going to help overthrow the current regime. And that shows the power that some of these attackers have gained and how by letting them run basically unchecked for the last 15 years, they're really stepping up and becoming more aggressive. Well, any country that that allows uh, John Hammond, and, and I'm talking about the original John Hammond. Oh yeah, yeah. to uh, you know just just build operate, a dinosaur park. Yeah, operate without any oversight. Oh no, no, no. Uh, out there on uh, Isla, Isla Nubar or whatever. Right. It is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there, there's uh, you know there's a deep state. Did, it, did it, they say which country is attacking them? By the way, well, the, the Russian speaking. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, it's the, the it's the Conti gang. gang. Oh, yeah. and if I, so, they're like, let me search they're, countries they're in the middle that of a speak war Russian with uh, with uh, Ukraine right now. And then they're like, so what is happening with the Costa Rica thing? Yeah. <laughs> Looks like just one country speaks Russian. We still um, beating them at least. <laughs> so could could be anybody, but uh, yeah, I mean, well, what's funny to me is Don not knowing the thing about the guy just being in, in power for a week. I saw that it said, oh, and he blamed the previous administration for not doing enough to secure the, the networks. And I'm like, man, just the same as, as we do here in America. We yeah. just, everything's the fault. Yeah, of course. Oh, it actually is the fault in this yeah, case. Yeah, well, the, <laughs> the guy was partying hard yeah. the whole time. Yeah, what were you doing the first week? Not securing the networks. I see that. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and honestly, even, even if they had top-notch security, if the previous regime wasn't happy about regime change – then they could have sabotaged it. They could have yeah. insiders that are still loyal to the previous presidency or, or whatever. Uh, we see that on a lesser degree here in the United States, right? Where if a Democrat gets elected, there's still plenty of Republicans that are in government positions. And then yeah. vice versa, when a Republican gets elected, there's plenty of Democrats still in position. Or people and, that were appointed by that, yeah, right, by that previous right. administration. Yeah, you got to love and that's the where fact a lot that... of the leaks and things come from that we we see on the news. It's not as drastic as this, but it yeah. could get that way. Well, I'm just thinking like. If the previous administration is so like, you know, got his knickers in a twist, as they say, over this, that he would rather see their country fall to a foreign power than be run out of office. Well, uh, it seems like Costa Ricans made a, the right choice. <laughs> hey, once you get a little bit of power. <laughs> replacing it. Once you get a little bit of power and then yeah. it's taken from oh, you. Oh, yeah. You don't like that. You, will do you ever anything. see a two-year-old try to take something from him? Mm. 
That's about what we're working yeah. with, it sounds like. And, you know, Peter, you brought up an interesting point about like a multi-front war. Uh, you know, when, when you look at history, they say if you don't learn history, you're destined to repeat it, right? So uh, you look at like Germany and World War II, we're yeah, doing a multi-front war. Oh, no, wait. Yeah. <laughs> is, is what, you know, what kind of uh, caused the downturn for them, caused them to, to ultimately lose. But when you're talking about cyber warfare, going from one front to a multi-front is just like All changing tab. your subnet notation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've got this other window open yeah. here. I should guess I'll go after them too. It's my Costa Rica <laughs> yeah. window. <laughs> yeah, my Costa. It's probably harder to limit your attack than it is to yeah, just it broaden is. it out. Yeah, own has something everything over here. You're like, well, I'm just waiting for this to load. Why don't I just see if I can attack Costa Rica right <laughs> yeah. quick over here? Yeah. I mean, they're busy like having a party, right? That's All right. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, we'll keep an eye on that one and see if uh, if Costa Rica is speaking Russian uh, soon <laughs> or, or what goes on there. Um, but maybe maybe pause on that vacation uh, to the beautiful black sand beaches until until we're sure. Um, all right. Well, I, I tried to say this article a minute ago, so let's go ahead and look at our next segment, which is do. Do do. It's so fitting that I say do and then miss hit the key. Yeah, do. Uh, <laughs> take a second there. All right, this one is from Reuters. U.S. orders federal agencies to update or remove certain VMware products from networks. And so, after reading this, it seems to me. I mean, we've seen issues with like companies like Huawei and stuff where we're saying, "Hey, don't use those anymore in in any applications um, for for government or defense or anything like that." This doesn't seem to be that severe. It, it seems to be saying specific products within VMware have some problems. Is that is that right, Don? Yeah, and and this is actually not VMware's fault. Uh, I know it kind of sounds like it, but this is a little bit more damning of well, the US government, uh, what's going on is there's a couple of VMware products, specifically VMware Workspace ONE Access and uh, VMware vRealize Automation, those two. Uh, if you're not familiar with them, one is designed to do like a remote application, remote desktop type environment for virtual desktop. Uh, the other one is designed to manage virtual deployments. Either one, uh, can be used by an attacker as a foothold to then spin up all sorts of additional services and compromise the whole network. That would be bad. Well, some updates were released for both of these products, uh, and the updates included fixes for certain vulnerabilities. Well, attackers have taken those updates and reverse engineered them to figure out what they fixed. And so there were vulnerabilities that were not openly disclosed to the community yet, but the attackers are able to figure out what those vulnerabilities were, and now they're taking advantage of it. And so basically, in the US government, there's a number of organizations that are using these products, and they haven't done the updates. So if you haven't applied the update, whatever the update fixes is still vulnerable, and that's what the attackers are taking advantage of. And it's gotten to be such a problem that the, the uh the U.S. government has basically had to come out, the CISA in this case, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, had to come out and say, look, you either need to patch these or remove them right now. If you haven't already patched it, the, the vulnerability is so bad, you have to assume that you're already compromised. So if you haven't patched, you are compromised. Like that's what they're saying. That's how effective this vulnerability is. And so it's really, again, not, VMware is not at fault. It's these government agencies have not applied updates. It's so super important to do that. Uh, this is a real eye-opener for it. This one's so bad that 
they they have to shut these machines down if they haven't patched already. It's a real barn burner there, Peter. <laughs> yeah, well, this sounds like something that, that could be a strategy used, you know, not just for VMware, but anywhere. You, you see, we can look at the difference between the patched version and the old version and say, okay, here's what changed. So this is where there's a hole in the old version. And, you know, VMware is probably a, a, a bigger thing where people, you know, might upgrade more quickly. Where You could find lots of products, I would think, where uh, people don't upgrade that quickly and, and, uh, and you'd be able to get in there. You'd be surprised at how often that is the case. Is that, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I, I used to do it with Cisco iOS releases because Cisco would do really good change logs. And so you could look at when a new iOS version would drop. And, and I mean the inter-network operating system, not the iPhone operating system. Uh, so when, when a new Cisco iOS would drop, you could just pull the change logs and see what was fixed. And then you could go and test your old machines or scan the internet and look for machine, you know, use a, a, a Shodan search or whatever and, and find devices that were out there running the previous versions. You knew exactly what would affect them. I mean, they'll physically tell you, <laughs> hey, hey, here's what was broken in the yeah. old thing. Man, yeah, people could get in busted. to do this and this and yeah. this. <laughs> like, you're just giving me the formula here. Yeah. Well, so you're saying there's a problem here? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's right around that area. Well, that's scary because there's so many organizations that have to wait to upgrade because they've got to make sure compatibility or things take time to roll out. Yeah. We've talked about that. That's true. Before, but but then you've and, got the oh, – go ahead. Yeah, and, and when you have a situation like that, so let, let's say one of our listeners works for one of these agencies and they have one of these highly vulnerable systems, you, you absolutely cannot expose it to the internet first off. Right. So if you want users to make use of it, you need to have a VPN or some other gate in between the internet and them accessing this resource. But even there, we've seen VPNs getting increasingly compromised where somebody's credentials get intercepted or reset and, and the attacker is able to VPN in, then they've blown the lid off of that too. So you've really got to do a zero trust infrastructure where People have to VPN in to connect in, and you still don't trust them. They still have to do multi-factor authentication and so on before they can even access the system. Uh, and that's just a lot of extra infrastructure that companies and, and government agencies haven't planned for. I love that Don thinks the director of IT at the Pentagon is like, <laughs> hold on, i got to watch Technado first because yeah, yeah. <laughs> i got to make sure that I'm, I'm doing You never it. know. Yeah, he very well yeah. <laughs> Well, then I don't – I mean, we're going to have a Costa Rica situation here very yeah. soon if, yeah. that's, if that's the case. Um all right. Well, the moment that, that I know I've been waiting for, um, <laughs> I don't even have a, a WTF intro since we moved to the new setup here because we, I had that intro that was so loud and jarring uh, that I wanted yes. to remake it. And uh, we haven't had a WTF, so I, I had been waiting. But uh, This seems like a WTF moment. This yeah. is a WTF moment, but no intro, so we'll just, just think about it. Yeah. Okay. Visualize. WTF. All right. Uh, this one comes to us from uh, Graham Cluley's blog, and uh, Graham was... Uh, on the show a, a while back, like episode, I think we looked it up like 144 or something like that. Um, uh, good guy, but uh, interesting article today. Bank refuses to pay ransom to hackers, sends uh, D picks instead. I think we've decided we're going to say D. <laughs> Richard picks. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, the, the photo they use here is an eggplant emoji. Uh, yeah. And the Bank of uh, Zambia's uh, 20 currency I don't know what their, what their yeah. currency is, but 20 uh, Just unit. pictures of President Nixon. But, yeah, so this is an did, did you just call their currency a unit? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> All right, let me search that. I feel like the this is going to go write the themselves rails, for this one. like, real quick. Well, why don't you bring us up to speed, Don, on what happened here first? 
<laughs> All right. So, um, you know, this is Watch this out. is a, a story that's been told a hundred times, right? A, a bank gets hit by ransomware. Okay, uh, we, not this heard particular that story. I, I, and, I thought you meant this story has been told a hundred times. Like, really? Oh. I've not heard this. <laughs> nope. We're nope. just so now this getting one's on this different. Yeah. <laughs> so normally, the way this story ends is the the bank secretly through some backdoor pays the ransom and and gets backdoor. their machines or they file a massive cyber insurance claim or whatever but massive. in this case uh whoever is running the bank of zambia's it department uh was set up they had backups they had backups that they had tested they knew they worked and so when they got hit by ransomware they were actually able to contain it so it it didn't hit every machine in their system it did hit several it disrupted their customer experience so they had to send a letter out to their customers saying, hey, there was a security incident, systems were affected, they've been fully restored at this point. So they were able to restore from their backups. Uh, what's neat, though, is because they were safe, because they had taken the time to protect their data and were able to recover from it, instead of having to negotiate with the attackers, they were able to send a letter uh, accompanied by a picture. And the picture was of, uh, of said phallus. And uh, it basically just said. I wonder if it was theirs, this... like his own. Oh, was it? No, I, I wonder if like oh. they just searched the internet, or he's like, "Hold on, got to run to the the restroom." Who's that, Jeff Bezos rocket ship? Yeah, <laughs> I I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, uh, who's, I just, yeah. who's are we sending here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, boy, that would add a whole new level. It really of, uh, would. It wasn't just some rando. It was my own. Like. Here's yeah. the exact this thing. particular yeah. one. Yeah, you're encouraged to do things with. Yeah, so you know, I've I've worked with a number of people, uh, or I've had people reach out to me where they had been hit by ransomware and try to figure out what to do, uh, just feeling helpless, vulnerable, like they, you know, they they had to negotiate to get their data back. Really bad situations. It's nice to see at least one time where, yeah, they they did get hit, but ultimately they were able to uh to uh just kind of end the deal on their own terms right and just tell the <laughs> what were those basically terms, tell the though? attackers to f off and and that's that mm. yeah now how do you know or is there a way to know that the data wasn't exfiltrated where you know you have to worry about i need to not piss these guys off sure so you don't like you don't know if the data has been exfiltrated in most cases, right? Because the system's been encrypted. It's not like you can check log files and things like that. But the reality is what we've seen time and time again is once they have that data, they're going to disclose it no matter what. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter whether you pay them, whether you're nice to them, whether you're mean to them, they're going to sell it on the dark web. It's just another monetization stream for them, right? So you might as really well zip no up point. down and uh, take yeah. a picture and send it to them then, huh? Yeah. I mean, I, Daniel, can you think of a way, like, if you're hit by ransomware, how can you know for sure that your data hasn't been exfiltrated? I mean, that that would be ultra difficult. It, let's just say it's possible. That would not be the easiest thing in the world to accomplish. So you just kind of yeah. start weighing the, you know, is this worth trying to do? Or do we just assume that that's been happening and go about our merry way and, and you know, send these people a, um, you know, a picture <laughs> and uh, let them know what we think of them and, and move along. Now, yeah. Don, Don, as you said, you worked at a bank. L mm -hmm. Let's say, you know, th this is the response everyone wants to do, of course. Let's say this had happened at, at the bank you worked at and and you or, or you know, your manager had, had responded in this fashion. 
They'd be fired, right, here in America? Yes. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yes. absolutely. Yeah, just absolutely. Tra- transmitting a picture like that from a company email address, absolutely, you'd be fired. Yeah, yeah. 100%. <laughs> which, which is unfortunate because we should be allowed to do this. What would be funny <laughs> is if the person that wanted to do that go, well, guess who has the backups? <laughs> now who's the ransomer? Oh, yeah. <laughs> ha, 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 ha. Let me check LinkedIn to see if this guy is still working there. Uh, <laughs> and if not, I want to get this guy in my network. Oh, he, here he is. Uh, he's the director of information communications technology at the Bank of Zambia. Uh, oh, he's um, I'm a third connection to him. Really? Yeah. Look at you. Uh, let's see. What is I want to reach out and say, hey, yeah. it's like six. I like the cut of your jib, sir. <laughs> People are congratulating him. What on on this? Oh no, a month ago. Okay. Well, congratulations too on that, but. <laughs> and congratulations to your wife, apparently. Um, yeah. Did she do something interesting? Well, I mean, we've all seen now what... Oh, yeah, good for her. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All yeah. right. Huh. Well, you Seems know, still for, for many people in this situation, this will not be an option. Uh, and, and there is that risk of data being exfiltrated. I'm, I'm running through in my head ways that you could possibly detect it. And I was thinking... Uh, several years ago, I, I think it was actually like eight years ago, LastPass had an incident. I don't know if you guys remember this one where they did an announcement to all of their customers and they said, we're asking you all to change your master passwords and that'll re-encrypt your vault. And the reason they did it is they said, last night, we noticed a spike in network activity on our WAN connection that we cannot attribute to a user. And so they said, we don't, we don't know what data was sent. We don't have any evidence of an attacker being on our network. In fact, the only thing we see is this increase in bandwidth consumption. And so we're going to go with the extra step, the, you know, the assumption that a compromise happened that we just can't figure out. And to this day, they never attributed that to an attack, but that was one of the things they watched. And that's a, a really tough thing to watch. Like, how do you, how, it could have been somebody firing up a Netflix video on their phone and you know they they weren't able to attribute that, so I don't think there is a good way that you could prove the data wasn't exfiltrated. Well, he exfiltrated something. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, they because they used like covert channels and things of that nature. There's yeah. there's a lot of things that hackers will employ to make sure that that is a not an easy thing because they they want to go undetected. If you detect them, you'll stop the attack, and then they got nothing. So they, they come up with some really ingenious mechanisms for getting data out of your system. And a lot of times it involves throttling mechanisms for, you know, making sure it doesn't get detected. I mean, the fact that they even detected there was a large spike in network activity and they just couldn't attribute it to where it was coming from. It's like, maybe it was data we don't know. And it would be really difficult for us to try to find that out if, if maybe even not possible. So let's just be better safe than sorry kind of thing well in this case good good for the bank for for being so secure in their systems that they were able to say screw you guys it does seem like you know like like don says if you did this here you'd be fired but every now and then someone's at the right place you might not be the hero we need or the hero we want but you're the hero we need at this point in time to give a big you know salute to (laughs) way to to stand up yes yes thank you and we all get to cheer and feel like a little little better about ourselves that Mm -hmm. somebody got to stick it to the mon yeah okay (laughs) well 
I've got nothing else I'm allowed to say. Yes, um, yes. So I, I will move on and let you know about a couple of webinars uh, coming up. First, um, let's see. We've got a, we, we did that cybersecurity webinar with Daniel and John Hammond recently where— We just uh, froze on screen. No one talked. It was yeah. horrible. <laughs> we, we had tons and tons of questions coming in. Um, so, you know, it's fantastic. And we said, yep, let's do it again. So we're going to do that with Zach Hill and talk about uh, hacking your way into the field. So kind of getting into cybersecurity. You know, Zach's, Zach's a great guy to talk about you know, changing careers and moving into IT uh, or moving from you know general IT specifically into security. So we're going to do that on June 16th at 2 p.m. Eastern time. So head over to itpro.tv slash webinars where you can register for that one. Uh, also, the next webinar after that is going to be the future of project management. What's to come for PMP and CAPM exams? Uh, Chris Ward will be doing that one for us as well. So, yep, head over to uh, itpro.tv slash webinars and you can register for all of those. And then uh, while you're on that internet there, head over to technado.com and uh, you can see all of our latest episodes there and you can uh, see some of the, the swag we have available uh, and you can also learn more about the team and you can uh, click the big orange button in the corner that says sponsored by IT Pro TV and get a 30% off coupon code for the lifetime of your personal membership. You can also request a team trial if you're part of a uh, team of two or more and find out the great features available uh, to help you guys collaborate with IT Pro TV. So yeah, that was a fun one, and um, I'm just thinking how 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 like just done with a, attacks was that director of the bank of Zambia? Yeah, you feel like <laughs> where he's been he just before. he was finally like threw his hands up in the air. I don't care. I'm so mad. Yeah, you know what? Well, he didn't throw his <laughs> yeah. hands up in the air. He threw yeah yeah yeah. He threw him down. He waved it like he just don't care. <laughs> I, I do have to find out. Now. I have to find out if it was his own. Yeah. Or or like a drawing. Yeah. Or, like uh, you, you, or just pictures. you know the first thing that comes up on Google Image Search, which maybe he has like a, an Outlook email template. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah, true. Contains, <laughs> yeah. This ain't the first time he's, he's done like, oh, it. this was actually just my signature. <laughs> yeah, this is yeah, my email signature. <laughs> this was blown out of proportion. Yeah. But uh, well, good for him. Uh, congratulations to them and, and to the hackers who yeah. received that gift. Indeed. Let's um, <laughs> hack another day. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. And, and Don, I think this was fun. Let's do this again next week. Uh, <laughs> We're yep. not here. Put you there. And actually, the week is it the week after that that you're at RSA? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll be out in California for that one. Maybe so we'll see if uh, we can find a time because I know you're you're busy that day with with uh, sessions and all that good stuff. But maybe we'll find a time and we can still get you on. That'd be good to yeah, maybe yeah. get get a live report on what's going down uh, from the full house house. I'm so, looking forward to it because it'll be the first in person conference I've been to in quite well. Actually, that I'm going to take that back because I spoke at a conference not too long ago. All right, well, well you spoke remotely, right? No, I, I actually went you out went. to the bank trainers conference. Oh, the bank trainers. Yeah, I was thinking of yeah, the nice conference. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, so I was there, but the, the RSA will certainly be the biggest conference that oh. I've been to since the pandemic started. That yeah. little show, they don't do much. <laughs> yeah. Only a couple of people there. We'll see. I remember our Uber driver said when we went out there that there are people that just make their entire living doing these you know, few days for RSA. Oh, the hookers? <laughs> I bet the Uber driver. <laughs> oh, the Uber. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they could. I don't know. What were you doing? I wondered why the door of the uh, Airbnb was opening yeah. up, and we that's when we stopped sharing rooms. I remember. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> we we did we did Technado from outside of the Full House house. We did. No, that wasn't the Full House house. 
That yeah. was the park at the end of the opening sequence in but the they intro. Live in that, they live. They in did not live in that ladies. house. No, 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 no. They were just picnicking. I agree to disagree. In that area. Pretty sure they lived in the house. <laughs> we'll look this up. I'm going to the no, internet. There, there is a different house there that is. they use for the outside of. It's not one of the painted. It's not ladies one of the painted there. ladies. I'm okay. pretty sure. All right. Today I learned. I'm googling. Yeah. And didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, didn't change anything. I had real trouble caring about that. All right, thanks all you guys, and, and thanks for remoting in, and thank you all for watching, and we'll see you next week right here on Technado with Don Pizzette.